All right, let's open our Bible to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. So we're working through the book of Hebrews. Better put my other set of eyes on just in case I might need them. Trying to remember that denial is not a river in Egypt. All right, Hebrews chapter 7. So believe it or not, we're going to make the attempt to go all the way through Hebrews chapter 7 today. Uh, We started it last Wednesday. We're going to keep working through it verse by verse this coming Wednesday. So you're welcome and encouraged to come out on Wednesday night as we go verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. All right, Hebrews chapter 7. Beginning in verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram, Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though we have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom is it, it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever 
according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there are many priests because they are prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever as an unchangeable priesthood, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, then he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Father, we thank you for this gospel. We thank you for the promise and for the oath you swore to make your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, the great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us before you, Father. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that by your Holy Spirit you would open our minds and break our hard hearts, that the, the good word, this good word of your gospel could be planted in the good soil of our heart and bring forth a righteous harvest of fruit that would glorify your name. We ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus, amen. So Hebrews 7 begins with a focus on Melchizedek. And this focus is to show the Hebrews from the scripture that Jesus is now our great high priest forever according to that order of Melchizedek. And that God changed the priesthood from Aaron to Christ. With a change of the priesthood, the writer of Hebrews says, there must also be a change of the law concerning the priesthood. This is significant for us in several ways. Now in Christ, we have been brought near to God by Jesus, by the blood of Christ. We who once far off have been brought near. We have a better covenant. We have a better hope. And now we have an eternal high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And we ourselves have become, in Christ, a royal priesthood. So remember the context of this book. When we began this, this study through the book of Hebrews, we said if we could sum up the book of Hebrews in one sentence, it's this, Jesus is better, period. Jesus is better. And the writer of Hebrews, the Jewish apostle who wrote Hebrews to the Jews, to the Hebrews, who wanted to go back at that time, the temple was still standing, they wanted to go back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and offer animal sacrifice in the temple. And this apostle says, if you do that, you count the blood of Jesus that was shed for you as common, you trample it underfoot, because if the blood of Jesus cannot atone for your sin, there is no blood of an animal that can atone for your sin, and there is no repentance that remains for you. In other words, you will be dead in your sin. And so the point is, the writer is writing to these Hebrews, and he's teaching them through the Old Testament scriptures, not through 
the New Testament Scriptures because there wasn't a New Testament Scripture at that time other than what was being written through these letters. And we see this when Jesus, at the, at the end of his conversation with the two disciples that he walked along the road to Emmaus with, when their eyes are finally open and they see the resurrected Christ and they know it's the resurrected Christ, Jesus, it says, takes them through the scriptures. He took them through the first five books that Moses wrote. He took them through the writings. He took them through the Psalms and the Proverbs. He took them through the prophets. He took them through all the Old Testament scriptures, the Bible says, and he showed them how they spoke of him. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's taking them back through the scripture and he's saying, what you are proposing to do is to leave Christ. And if you leave Christ, there remains no repentance for you. There remains no atonement for your sin if you abandon Christ. And so we see here that Melchizedek points us to Jesus. And he points us to Jesus as our great high priest. Now, as good Jews, they would have known that the priesthood comes through Aaron. Aaron was a descendant of Levi. It was the Levitical priesthood. That's why that's what it was called. And when God delivers Israel out of Egypt, Moses and his brother Aaron, remember Moses was the the chief guy, but he didn't like to speak, so God gave him his brother Aaron to, to be his mouthpiece. And then later on when they're in the wilderness and God gives Moses the law, God tells Moses, anoint Aaron, your brother, as high priest. And the descendants of Aaron will be the priesthood. In fact, he says it will be an everlasting priesthood throughout the generations. And we talked about this on Wednesday. Who can change the priesthood? Well, the very person who established it. Because, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, the priesthood was never meant to eternally be through Aaron Because there was a priesthood before Aaron ever came. There was a priesthood before Jacob. There was a priesthood before Isaac. There was a priesthood before Abraham. And Abraham met him and his name was Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is called the priest of God most high in Genesis 4.18. And Abraham meets Melchizedek after rescuing his nephew Lot, who was kidnapped by these evil kings, and Abraham takes an army of 300 men, and he goes, and he defeats these kings, and he rescues Lot and his family and all of his household, and he plunders these kings, and he brings all this plunder back. Genesis chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. So here comes Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings with all the plunder. And when Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine... He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him, he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Abraham gave to Melchizedek a tithe, a tenth of all of his increase. So we see through this, and the point that the writer of Hebrews is making to these Hebrews, 
is that we see Abraham being blessed by this priest of God. So we see that long before Moses, long before the Passover, long before the law, we see Melchizedek, the priest of God most high. And what is he doing? He's bringing out bread and wine for the worship of God. This is clearly pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to his body, pointing us to his blood, pointing us to God's bread of life and God's wine of the covenant. We see Abraham being blessed through the mediation of this priest. We see Abraham worship God and give to God a tithe, the tenth of all of his increase. All of this, the priesthood, the elements of worship, even the tithe, predate Moses. They predate the law. We see from the beginning forward God pointing us to Jesus Christ and the covenant of life that we would have, that we would possess in him. Melchizedek in function, in name, and in title point us to Christ. The real pronunciation, it's hard for me not to say Melchizedek, it's Melchizedek. And if you break that word down, the Hebrew word melech means king. Zedek is righteousness. Melchizedek literally means king of righteousness. In Hebrews 4, I mean in uh, Genesis 4.18, remember it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem. So his name is Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. His title is king of Salem, which that was the city of Jerusalem. Salem or Shalom, the Hebrew word Shalom means peace. So when someone says to you Shalom, what they're saying is peace. Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. He is the priest of God most high. Everything about this Melchizedek points us to Jesus. It's screaming Jesus. It's a neon road sign saying this is Jesus. So we see that Melchizedek is this priest of God most high. He's called the king of righteousness. He's called the king of peace. So we have no clearer illusion pointing us to Jesus. And Abraham's encounter with Melchizedek reveals a priest before God, before the law was given, before the priesthood through Aaron, the descendant of Levi, was instituted. And this Melchizedek, this priest of God Most High, points us to the ultimate great high priest who now has come, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So there's lots of mystery surrounding Melchizedek. We talked about this a lot on Wednesday night. And so here's the reality. We don't know who Melchizedek was. Some people think he is a pre-incarnate Christ a theophany, a manifestation of God in the flesh before the coming, the incarnation of Christ. Some people believe he's simply a man who is like the Son of God. But here's what we know for certain. He points us to Jesus. So it's less important to know who Melchizedek was it's most important to know what Melchizedek, whoever he was, points us to. And Melchizedek points us to Jesus. 
God swore an oath concerning Christ long after the priesthood was already established by the law of Moses. It's recorded for us in the psalm by King David. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That was written by David in the psalms speaking of his descendant, Jesus Christ, who would be not only the king of righteousness and the king of peace, but who would become our great high priest. God does not want us to look to any other. God wants us to look to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is not just called a priest, he's called our Great high priest in Hebrews 4.14. This is what the writer of Hebrews declares about Jesus. Jesus ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. God has sworn, therefore we can be assured that Christ is a priest forever and an eternal advocate before the Father. God does not want us to sin, but God knows we will sin, right? Because we are sinful. We are fallen creatures. We're born in sin Remember, our problem with God is not our behavior. Our problem with God is our nature. Our dogs bark and our cats meow because they're dogs and cats. We sin because we're born sinners. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again. And the only thing, you can change your behavior. You can learn new habits. You can do all kinds of things and change your behavior outwardly but you can't change your nature. You can't change what you are. I can teach my dog people tricks, but my dog will never become a people, right? I can learn to talk righteously, act righteously, behave righteously. I can become an extremely moralistic person, just like the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. And Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs. You're all clean and white, look bright on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. You're like the cup that's shiny on the outside, but full of filth on the inside. And we can clean up the outside through moralistic behavior, but we can't change what's on the inside of us. Only God can do that, which is exactly why Jesus said, you must be born again. It's not just our behavior that needs to change. It is our very nature. It's the very essence of who we are that must change be changed, and only God can do that. So God knows that we will sin because we are sinners, and he knows that we will fall short because all have fallen short of his glory. But God has made provision for us in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are made righteous by him who is the king of righteousness. In Christ, we have peace with God because he is the king of peace. He's made provision for us so that by his work, by his name, by his very essence, by his very being, and by his finished work on the cross, he has made provision for us so that our works that will always fall short will not be rejected but accepted by God in Jesus Christ. Remember Hebrews, I mean Ephesians chapter 2, where in, in chapter 2, where the, Paul writes and he says, We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And then verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works, but God has prepared good works for us to walk in. And we don't become acceptable to God because we've walked in a bunch of good works and we've learned how to be really moralistic people. That's not why we're accepted by God the Father. We're accepted because we're in Jesus Christ. And the only reason any work that we do, even in the name of Christ, is accepted by God is because we have been made acceptable in Jesus Christ. Perfection could only come by Jesus Christ. It could come by no other. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 through 14 Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that there another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord Jesus arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. So the writer of Hebrews says, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, there would be no need for another priest to rise up by another tribe and by another name. Or Paul says it like this, if we can be justified by the law, then Christ died in vain. We can't be justified by the law. And no Levitical priest, no descendant of Aaron could bring us into perfection because the law could not make us perfect. Only Jesus can make us perfect. And God demands, listen, and never ever mistake this, what God demands of us is absolute sinless perfection. And you say, that sounds unreasonable, Pastor. No, it's not. There's nothing reasonable or unreasonable about it. It's who God is. God is the picture. God is ultimate righteousness, holiness, and perfection. There is no sin in God. There is no darkness in God. There is no variables, no, no, no shadow of turning in God. He is ultimate light and righteousness and holiness. And this is all that he can be. And this is all that he can demand. Well, how are we going to meet that standard? Well, you're not going to. This is the mistake that a lot of people make. This is the mistake these Hebrews are making. And this is why this Hebrew apostle is writing to this Hebrew church and telling them, if you think you're going to be justified by keeping the law, there remains no more repentance for you. Because if you go back to Jerusalem and you try to sacrifice in that temple and offer the blood of an animal, you're casting aside the blood of Jesus saying that it cannot atone for your sin. And the law was never given to make us perfect. The law is perfect. The problem is we're not perfect. The law was given to show how imperfect we are. The law set a standard so far above what we can reach on purpose so that we would look at that standard and realize we are hopeless. Who can save us from this body of death? This is what the great apostle, the great Pharisee, the great Hebrew, Paul, writes in his letter to the Romans. Who can save me from this body of death? I thank God for Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus is the only one that could bring perfection. Jesus is the only one that could deliver us from our sin. And God says, if you want to try to keep my standard and live by your works, here it is. Why was Abraham counted as righteous? And this is why the writer of Hebrews is taking the Hebrews back to Abraham. Abraham was counted righteousness because he believed God, because he trusted God. It was Abraham's faith that made him righteous. It wasn't him keeping a law, because there was no law of Moses then. There was a law of God. And it's not that Abraham was a perfect man. He was not. He was a sinner, just like all of us are. But what made Abraham righteous? Well, God made him righteous. God declared him righteous. Why? Because Abraham trusted God. And by the time Moses comes to the children of Israel, the children of Israel are not trusting God. And we see that because they, they, don't, get, they don't get very many miles outside of Egypt when they start moaning and complaining and saying to Moses, why did you bring us out here? We should go back to Egypt. We were only enslaved there for 400 years. We only suffered under the cruelty of the Egyptians. But, but being there was better than being out here with you, Moses. Even though we've got a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and God is with us, you brought us out here to die in this wilderness. I mean, it did not take long for their sinfulness to manifest. And it continually manifest, which is why God allowed an entire generation to drop dead in the wilderness. And this is what the Hebrews are hearing, they're being reminded of this. Your fathers did not trust God. Your fathers did not obey, and they died in the wilderness. Do not be like your fathers. Abraham was righteous, not because he kept the law. He was righteous because he believed God. And this is what the writer is saying. If you think going back to Jerusalem and keeping that law and sacrificing an animal is going to make you righteous, you are wrong. Because only Jesus, only Jesus can make us perfect. Only Jesus can make us righteous. Only by trusting in what Jesus has done can we become acceptable to God. It doesn't make us perfect. It's an acknowledgement that we are imperfect which is why I'm not trusting in myself and I'm not trusting in my ability to keep a law or to keep commandments. I acknowledge my imperfection. I acknowledge my sinfulness. My only hope is to trust in the only one who is sinless and the only one who is perfect, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God brings this change in the priesthood and with the change in the priesthood, there is a change in the law concerning the priesthood. And only God who gave the law can change the law. And so he does in Christ. And with that change, God ushers in something better. Now through Christ, we have a better covenant and a better hope. With the coming of Christ came a new priesthood and a new law. Jesus Christ has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, the law of Moses, but according to the power of an endless life. The law of Moses, the fleshly commandment, appointed mortal men who died. 
men who had to offer their own sacrifice for their own sin before they could even offer the sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. As we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see the imagery of the Feast of Israel. And specifically, we're going to see the imagery of the Feast of Atonement, Yom Kippur, when that day when the nation would, the sins of the nation would be atoned for as the high priest. Remember, once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God on the Day of Atonement. And he would carry the blood of that goat. He would go behind the veil into the most holy place, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And if God accepted that sacrifice, that priest would come back out, and when he would appear a second time, it was a sign that God had accepted the sacrifice. And the sins of the nation were put away, covered for another year. And then the next year at Yom Kippur, the high priest would have to do it again. Why is Jesus better? Because Jesus is our great eternal high priest. He has offered his blood once and for all in the presence of the Father. And the Father has accepted that sacrifice. And your sin has not just been covered for a year or covered until you can bring the blood of an animal back to the temple, back to a priest who will mediate for you before an earthly altar. No, Jesus is the better high priest, the great high priest who offered once and for all his blood, and his blood has not just covered temporarily until you sin again. His blood has taken away once for all your sin. And he lives forever, eternally, in the presence of the Father to make intercession on your behalf. Every earthly high priest was born, lived, served at the altar, but then died. And another was appointed, and another was appointed, and another was appointed. And they were sinful, and they had to offer their own sacrifices for sin, but not Jesus. He is once and for all and eternally our great high priest. And so he has brought a better covenant and a better hope. With the coming of Christ came a new priesthood and a new law. Jesus, who is perfect, brings the perfection that God requires that no mortal man could fulfill. We now have a better covenant and a better hope because we have a better and perfect high priest and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is our better hope that brings us near to God. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Remember, that commandment could not perfect us. It only pointed out our imperfection. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the beginning or the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. There is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. This is a direct reference to the hope we have as an anchor of the soul who is Christ. This is from the previous chapter where it says there is a hope that has entered behind the veil and brings us into the very presence of God. This is the Lord Jesus. Hope is not just something you look to and you want and you hope you can get. The hope the Bible talks about is a person. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the hope that entered in behind the veil into the very presence of God. 
He is the forerunner. He is the one who not only entered in for us, but he entered in so that we could be brought with him into the very presence. Christ is our hope that has entered the presence behind the veil. And as he has entered in, he also made a way to bring us near to God into the presence of the Father before the very throne of grace. Jesus declared himself to be the only way to the Father. John 14, 6. Philip said, Lord, show us the way. If you just show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way that brings us into the presence. Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians that you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the writer of Hebrew reminds us of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And Jesus Christ is our better hope that brings us near to the very presence of God. Christ is our hope that does not disappoint Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, hope does not disappoint. That's a bold statement. If you have ever, well, let me just ask this. If you have never been disappointed in life, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody? Didn't think so. I haven't found anybody yet that's never been disappointed. But yet the Bible says that in Christ we have a hope that does not disappoint. It does not mean that we can never be disappointed. We can and we do experience disappointment regularly in the things that we hope for. The hope that does not disappoint is not a hope in things. It is our hope in Christ. Hope is not a thing. Hope is a person. The hope that does not disappoint is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope we have in Christ cannot fail. It cannot disappoint. Christ is our present and eternal hope, a hope that is sure and steadfast. Christ is a better hope through which we draw near to God, a hope that will never fail. So now Jesus has become a surety of all things better. Listen to verses 20 and 22. And inasmuch as he was made, not made priest without an oath, in other words, when Christ was declared a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, that scripture says the Lord has sworn, the Lord swore an oath, and it says he swore and he will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. But the earthly priest, they did not become priest with an oath. But Jesus, he became a priest by the oath that God himself uttered, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. The so much more there is the oath of God. It is God swearing by himself that Jesus is our great high priest. That is the surety by which Jesus 
brings us all things better. In Christ, we have a better high priest who is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest is exactly what is required for us. He's a fitting high priest. In other words, he's exactly what we need. He is a high priest who is holy, who is harmless, who is undefiled, who is separate from sinners, who has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those other earthly high priests, the descendants of Aaron. He does not need to daily offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews verses, chapter 7, verse 28. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness. That's what the law of Moses did. That's who Aaron was. He was a high priest appointed by God, but he was a man of weakness, as all mortal men are, imperfect. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath the word which the Lord himself swore, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. This Son who has been perfected forever, this Jesus has become by so much more, by an oath from the Father, surety for a better covenant. He has saved us and secured us in him by grace through faith in him. That is how we are saved. By grace, through faith in Him. That is how we are made secure. By grace, through faith in Him. And in that, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessings are not blessings we're going to get one day in heaven. Spiritual blessings are eternal Blessings, that's what that means. It doesn't mean we'll get them one day. It means we have them now in Christ and they will never, ever pass away. The blessings that you have now in Christ are present. They're now. You don't have all of them. We pray for healing for people's bodies We know people who are suffering from chronic and terminal illnesses and we tell them Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your healer. Well, pastor, are you saying that I'm going to get healed here in this body on this earth? I'm saying you could. That's God's prerogative. If it's his will, you will. But here's what I do know. The Bible says that we will receive glorified bodies one day, resurrected bodies one day. How do we know that? Because Jesus received one. Because when Jesus was crucified and died and was buried, he didn't stay in a tomb. He rose on the third day. The blood he shed was accepted by the Father, and it has taken away your sin. It has saved you, past tense, done deal, completed work. It is saving you right now. It is transforming you. It is renewing your mind. It is conforming you to the image of Christ, an ongoing process. Well, I wish that process would hurry up, you might say. 
Well, that process is in large part determined by how much you give yourself to God, how much you surrender yourself to God, to his word, to prayer, to meditation, by surrendering those things that distract us and draw us away, those things that are contrary to his nature and to who he is. The good news is the promise that God gives us is that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But I don't know about you, I delayed enough, I've resisted God enough, I've lived unsurrendered long enough. The work that God is doing in transforming and renewing and conforming me to the image of the Son, I want to be a willing participant, not an unwilling drug by my hair. Well, see, you wonder why I don't have any hair. God pulled it all out, dragging me against my rebellion. We want to be willing participants. So the work of sanctification is a joyful work, joyful for God and joyful for us. And so the Lord invites us, as he has blessed us, as he has saved us, as he has secured for us all things better, he invites us to come to his table, to take our place at his table, the place he saved for us by saving us through his body and through his blood, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus given up and shed for us. He brings us to his table set with his bread and with his wine, with his body and with his blood. And each week we come to this table and each week we acknowledge what Christ has done for us in giving himself for us. We acknowledge that he is our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. It is the only way we can come to this table. And if you know that Jesus Christ is your only hope in life and death, if you know that he is the only Savior, the only great high priest that we have, the only perfect one who can bring us to perfection, the way to the Father, if you are trusting in Jesus to do what you cannot do and what no one else can do, come to this table, take the bread and take the cup and celebrate the covenant that he has given to us in his son, the Lord Jesus. Christians, come. As I said at the beginning, we started this study by summing it up this way, Jesus is better. In Christ, we have been given all things better. Better does not mean easy. Today in our culture, we equate better with easy. I like easy things. We all like easy things, right? But better does not mean easy. It means better. We live in this culture where better is defined by comfort, by fun, by ease, by how much we can get, by how much we can have. But there should be nothing comfortable about our sin. There was nothing comfortable, fun, or easy about the brutal beating or the cruel and shameful death that Jesus willingly suffered on the cross. There was nothing comfortable or easy about the Father turning from the Son. In that moment, Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him.
Jesus endured that eternally uncomfortable, unpleasant, and supremely difficult separation so that our sins could be taken away and we could become recipients of all things better. We are created by God, saved by God, and placed here by God for His pleasure and for His purpose. In Christ, we have been purchased by His blood. We are not our own. We are not here for ourselves, but for Him and for His purpose. If we will be faithful and patient and steadfast in the things of God, being no longer conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we will find God conforming us to the very image of His Son. If we will be faithful and patient and steadfast in the things of God, we will find His joy, and His joy will become our joy. And our life, even in the bitter and most difficult times, can be reason to rejoice and reason to give thanks because God has given us in Christ a better hope, a hope that will not disappoint, a hope that brings us into the very presence of the Father. In His presence, Psalm 1611 says, in His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. The joy and pleasure God has for us in Him infinitely eclipses the difficult and the bitter things this life may offer us. That is the sure hope we have in Christ. Don't let the distractions of this world rob you of the fullness He desires you to find in Christ. Don't cover your light. Don't lower your voice. Don't hide your way. Live loud and clear for Christ in the bitter and in the sweet. His sacrifice is our life. And any sacrifice we make for Him in reality is no sacrifice. It is nothing but gain for us and glory for Him. Go and obey Christ and serve Him faithfully and joyfully. Let his name be known, that others may come to find and know the hope we have. The very same hope that's been given to you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.